Look, you've had a good career. I don't think you're a big, bad master spy. So there's this new offering from HBO this summer. I think you just messed up. It's the story of reality winner. We are concerned with the leak. Insider threat. We have a search warrant for your house. Oh my goodness, okay. You may remember the case. Like Reality was an NSA contractor and sent a single classified document about Russian interference in the 2016 elections to some journalists. And she went to jail for it. Today, a federal judge handed down the sentence to Reality Winner. It's the longest sentence ever given for a federal crime involving leaks to the media. And now secret documents and the way they're handled is back in the news. Former President Donald Trump allegedly had more than 700 pages of classified material at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. This morning, new details surrounding those classified documents discovered at President Biden's Delaware home. NBC News has also confirmed that classified documents were discovered at the home of former Vice President Mike Pence. Donald Trump will face 37 criminal counts when he appears in a court in Miami next week. He's accused of mishandling classified documents documents which he kept on leaving office, obstructing justice and making false statements. But Reality Winner wasn't a Washington insider. She was just a contractor. And one of the questions that continues to swirl around her case and is at the core of this new HBO movie about her is whether she got such a stiff sentence precisely because she didn't have political connections. I think status... Um across the board in our legal system makes a difference in terms of how people are treated. That's Joe Whitley, one of Reality's lawyers. She had no clout in that regard. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a show about all things cyber and intelligence. We tell true stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. And today, we revisit a sit-down interview we had with Reality Winner shortly after she was released from prison. And given all the focus recently on classified documents and the way they're handled, it seemed a good time to take another look at what happened to reality. Stay with us. In Norway, a woman's boyfriend forgets who she is overnight. In Detroit, a man is arrested, but he was never at the crime scene. In Spain, disturbing pictures of young girls have appeared, and no one knows who's behind them. Something strange is happening, a collision between people and artificial intelligence. Discover more in The Guardian's new series, Black Box. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes, Monday and Thursdays. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. We're about uh, 40 minutes outside of Corpus Christi, in a pretty rural area of Texas. So we're driving down a two-lane stretch of road that is just farm after farm after farm. Reality Winner's house is on the edge of a cattle ranch, 
about 100 miles north of the Mexican border. The destination is on your left. And she lives with her mom and stepdad and a bunch of animals. Hello. Are you a good dog? Okay. A dog named Domino, a couple of fluffy cats, and a horse named Trouble. You already met Domino? Yeah, he actually climbed into the car. Super nice to meet you. She had always been good at languages, so she wanted to use that skill for the greater good. Reality told us she was still a senior in high school when she called her local recruiting office. And basically said, like, hi, my name's Reality Winner. I'm enlisting to be a linguist in Middle Eastern and North African languages. And they laughed really hard. You know, they didn't know who I was, just, you know, just cold called them and said, I'm going to be a linguist. She says she came to find out that it meant translating intelligence. A career as a linguist would be dark rooms with lots of computers and no person-to-person contact. And how difficult it would be to actually deploy and actually understand combat up close, that it would always be from afar. Maybe they were laughing at her name. Maybe it was the certainty of her intention or the precision of her plan. Whatever it was, it worked. And a few years later, she was a linguist. What languages do you speak? Um, Speaking is kind of uh, (laughs) shaky right now, but Farsi, Dari, Pashto. I could come up with the Latin if I needed to. It's not much of a spoken languages. But I can read Farsi, Dari, Pashto, Latin, and Hebrew. Reality is not allowed to talk about how she used her language skills at the NSA. It's classified. But she'd later tell the FBI that she worked in the drone program, like translating the communications that helped drone operators identify targets. And it makes sense. Farsi would help her identify Iranians in Iraq working with the insurgents, and Pashto would help her spot terrorists in Afghanistan. Reality spent much of her time in a SCIF, SCIF stands for Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. She'd check in her phone at the door, swipe a badge, and then walk through a metal detector and go into an area where sound could neither come in nor go out. Most SCIFs don't have windows. Some emit a kind of white noise to prevent eavesdropping. It's where all classified documents are supposed to be viewed to protect their secrets. So having a bunch of secret documents in a ballroom or a bathroom at Mar-a-Lago, where they tend to book bar mitzvahs and weddings, is kind of crazy. I was shocked by the degree of sensitivity of these documents and how many there were, frankly. This is former Trump Attorney General Bill Barr in an interview with Fox News. If even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty... Barr said that the 31 counts that fell under a section of the Espionage Act were solid. And then he added... Yes, he's been a victim in the past. Yes, his uh, adversaries have obsessively pursued him with phony claims. And I've, and I've been at his side defending against them when he is a victim. But this is much different. He's not a victim here. If you trace back the intersection of Trump world with that of reality winners, you'd have to go back to about two weeks before the Trump inauguration. That's when intelligence officials gave the incoming president details about how the Russians tried to meddle in the 2016 elections. Among other things, they showed him texts and emails from Russian military officers. But back in the spring of 2017, none of that was public. And then President Trump wasn't offering any clues to what he knew. You don't think it's phony that they, the Russians, tried to meddle in the election? You believe that? That I don't know. Turns out he was dissembling. Now, you don't know or you do know? Well, I have a a problem. 
Meanwhile, Reality Winner had actually seen some of the classified details about the Russian attempt to slip into state election systems. And she figured if she knew as an analyst, the President of the United States must know as well. And while the Russian hackers hadn't succeeded, the document Reality saw was proof that they were trying. Given all the news about the Russian meddling at the time, Reality said she and her colleagues at the NSA were certain that the report would eventually be leaked. If you go back to... March, April, May 2017, you knew that right at that 5 p.m. journalistic deadline every Friday, there'd be a new leak. Today, WikiLeaks, the anti-secrecy website, dumped thousands of pages of CIA documents that were stolen from the National Security Agency and posted online by a group called the Shadow Brokers. It's not the first Reality says working from a windowless skiff while watching classified material leaked to journalists was a bit surreal. And of course, working in a, a secure environment where information was very tightly held, we were watching because these leaks made our jobs way harder. And so that was how we viewed leaks as massive inconveniences, massive setbacks. That's because the leaks were invariably followed by lengthy investigations. Security personnel would go through everyone's email. They'd bring people in for questioning. And then they'd ask about any contact they might have had with journalists. It was a total time suck when they had much more important work to do. But that proof of Russian meddling didn't surface. We were waiting for something. And it never came up. And so then you kind of have that spiritual Hillel moment, like, if not now, then when? If not me, then who? And I think that's where I was. Did you answer that question before that morning to yourself saying, if not me, then who? Or had you not answered that question in your head yet? Not yet. I hadn't decided. Reality says May 9th, 2017 was a day like any other. She certainly didn't intend to print a document off a classified server, hide it in her pantyhose, and then leak it. It was just like a mid-morning spur of, this is what I'm going to do. As she saw it, democracy was under attack by the Russians, and she thought people should know. There was no higher level of thought to this. It was take item A and give it to The Intercept. The Intercept, the news website. And they're going to save the world with it, because everything, there's always a happy ending, right? I believe that it would be seen as altruistic, and that I wouldn't basically be, have my character so blatantly um, distorted. She said it never occurred to her to look into the legal ways of calling attention to this information. She just put the document in an envelope and... Um, and then you put it in the mailbox after yoga class and go home and don't think about it again? And don't think about it, yeah. Um, Though that following Friday... Towards that Friday, 5 p.m. Um, leak mania, I would keep an eye on the news or I would check the news on Saturday morning to see what broke overnight. And nothing ever happened. So by week three, I was like, mm, okay, whatever. You know, wasn't meant to be. We'll be right back. What if someone you love asks you to help them die? What would you say? This is the powerful question at the heart of the ultimate choice. 
The series follows the journey of Michael and his wife Anne as they grapple with his request to choose the way he wants to die. I'm Rob Cribb, and through their story, I learned a lot about my own family. I hope the show is a way to start conversations many of us want to have, but rarely do. The ultimate choice is out now. When Reality Winner passed that five-page classified document to a reporter, she committed a crime. There's no argument about that. But there was a way this all could have gone down legally. There's a formal whistleblower process that includes lawyers and the legal transfer of government documents. And if it all works out, and sometimes that doesn't always happen, she'd get protection. Go outside that process like Reality Winner did, and it didn't really matter what you're releasing. Technically, legally, you're not a whistleblower. You cannot release classified information to the press and be a lawful whistleblower. This is Mark Zaid. He's probably one of the best-known whistleblower attorneys in the country. He's represented lots of government employees, and lots of his cases involve classified information. He says defining a whistleblower isn't a moral judgment. It's a legal one. And as a matter of law, Reality Winner had options that she didn't exercise. But if she had just gone over and given it in hand to a member of Congress who was authorized to receive it, then yes, she would have been very much protected. And no doubt that member and Congress would have stepped up to protect her if any retaliation had occurred. I asked Reality Winner directly if she considered herself a whistleblower, and she said she didn't. But it seems that she had little frame of reference for this kind of thing. She told me she'd never even read about whistleblowers or people who leaked information like Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning because, frankly, she wasn't supposed to. Because it was so taboo to even go home and read about it. You were not allowed to read those articles. As crazy as it sounds, that's a thing. Technically, you're only supposed to see information you're cleared for. There are rules on what you're not supposed to see, even if it's all over the news. So to make sure you don't accidentally read something you're not supposed to, people with clearances just avoid everything. According to Reality, her attorneys, and two law enforcement officials close to the case, a reporter from The Intercept handed both the classified document and the envelope it was sent in to someone in the intelligence community. The reporter said he wanted to make sure it was authentic. The Intercept told Click here that they shared just the document, not the envelope. Whatever happened, we do know that the document and the envelope ended up with the FBI, and that led them straight to reality. Usually, if a reporter wants to verify the authenticity of a classified document, their first step is to retype it. The idea is to avoid revealing identifiable marks on the document that would burn a source. That's been pattern and practice for years, but it didn't happen in this case. That said, the document and the envelope certainly wasn't the only evidence pointing to reality. The NSA could see that only six people printed the document from a classified server, and reality was one of them. She said later she wasn't really thinking about how the document might be traced back to her. Not getting caught or doing it super covertly was not a concern because, again, it was, even if they had found out it was me, I was just trying to help, seen as something altruistic, zero damage done. The thing is, she couldn't possibly know that no damage was done. Intelligence documents and classified information 
often reveal more than what is on the page. Sometimes something trivial can actually be meaningful to the adversary, which is one of the many arguments surrounding the documents President Trump took out of the White House. FBI agents, according to the Washington Post, found a document describing a foreign government's military defenses, including its nuclear capabilities. The, the concern is not just that they were highly sensitive, but also what they might reveal about the sources and methods that led to the intelligence in the first place. Reality Winner was arrested on June 3, 2017, and was charged with violating the Espionage Act, the same law under which the FBI said it was authorized to seize the materials at Mar-a-Lago. The Espionage Act dates back to World War I, and it basically makes it a crime to disclose secrets that could harm the U.S. or help a foreign adversary. The part that's most relevant here is something called 793D. It's about individuals who are allowed to see classified materials, but then share them with someone who isn't. Which is why the audio tape that allegedly captures Trump waving around a classified document about attacking Iran may be so damning. This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. Yeah. Look, look at this. You attack and... Hillary. It also has a provision for people who don't return classified documents when asked. Prosecutions under the law have been rare, which may explain why Vice President Pence was cleared of mistakenly having classified documents in his home, and why President Biden is likely not to face charges either. What was different in the Trump case isn't that he had the documents, it was that he seemed intent on not returning them. Former Attorney General Bill Barr summed it up nicely. And this was a case that entirely of his own making. He had no right to those documents, and he had no legal basis for keeping them. I'm a conservative, uh, a Republican. Uh, I certainly believe in national security and maintaining our national secrets. Joe Whitley is one of reality's lawyers. He was a U.S. attorney in Georgia and a one-time general counsel at the Department of Homeland Security. But on the other side of the equation, people need to be defended. And I, I've never felt uh, quite so proud as I did in this case of being part of defending a reality winner in this circumstance. The problem for reality was because the crime occurred outside an army base in Georgia, her case was heard in a federal court there. Almost all of these cases for the most part, are brought in the D.C. area, either in the uh, D.C. District Court, uh, Maryland, or Virginia courts near Washington. The judges there are quite familiar with these types of cases, um, and I, I believe for the judges at least that were involved in this matter, this was um, a bit of an education. Certainly, um, they were not familiar with this. I, I think she needed to be sentenced. I think she needed to be punished, given what she did. This is Mark Zaid, the whistleblower attorney again. And he says her sentence was harsh. Uh, you know, what that sentence would have been, uh, you know, consistent with others would have probably been, you know, two, three years or so. All our reporting supports the fact that reality's decision to release the document was a spur of the moment thing. If you had to do it again, would you have released the document? No. Reality was sentenced to five years for mishandling one document. Former President Trump is accused of mishandling hundreds of them. 
This is Click Here. some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, said last week that the head of its election security division, Kim Wyman, is leaving at the end of July for a job in the private sector. Before joining CISA, Wyman may have been best known for challenging Donald Trump's false claims of election fraud when she served as Washington's Secretary of State. Kate Conley, a senior advisor to CISA director Jen Easterly, will start supervising election security and protecting voters from disinformation campaigns. Connolly will also act as the agency's chief liaison to state and local officials. Connolly is an Army veteran and formerly served as the executive director of the Defending Digital Democracy Project at Harvard University's Belfer Center. SolarWinds, the technology company whose management software was compromised in an epic supply chain hack in 2020, said its executives may soon face charges from the Securities and Exchange Commission for the company's response to the compromise. The hack, which the U.S. government attributed to the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, affected both big companies and a roster of U.S. government agencies, including the Defense Department, Justice, Commerce, Treasury, and the Department of Homeland Security, among others. The hackers were able to insert malware into a version of the company's software and then get into customer systems when the software went through an automatic update. A SolarWinds spokesperson defended the company's response to the incident, but said its executives may face charges related to their handling of it. The company said it is cooperating with the SEC in its investigation. And finally, the multi-billion dollar Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC, said one of its hardware suppliers was on the receiving end of a hack. TSMC made the statement after the Russian-speaking LockBit ransomware group crowed about attacking a TSMC supplier on its leak site. LockBit is one of the most prolific ransomware groups the world has ever seen. A TSMC company spokesperson would not specifically address LockBit's claims, but said that the company recently became aware a supplier called Kinmax, which is a systems integrator, was attacked. And the hackers may have stolen information about server setups and configuration. TSMC is considered the world's most valuable semiconductor company, with a 2021 annual revenue of more than $57 billion. The company told Recorded Future News that the incident is currently under investigation by a law enforcement agency. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. I'm Dina Templerastin, the host and executive producer of the show. Our senior producer and marketing director is Sean Powers. Will Jarvis is our producer, and Sarah Wyman is our writer-reporter. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors. Darren Ancrum is our fact-checker. And Ben Levingston composes all the original music you hear in the episode. Our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us by email. Click here at recordedfuture.com or on our website at clickhereshow.com. I'm Dina Temple Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday.
Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.